Well, a pillar is something that is used for support. A pillar could be made of wood. A pillar could be made of concrete. A pillar could be made of steel. Now, if you're building a big structure, uh, they found at Nissan Stadium, for example, that those concrete pillars that they put in place some, I don't know, 20 plus years ago, uh, that there's deterioration there. And so they're figuring out that, hey... You know, we should have used steel instead of concrete. And so that's something they're looking at going back and doing. And then figuring out, well, maybe we just need to build a new stadium altogether. In other words, my point in all that being, that pillars are important. Uh, The strength of a pillar is important. What a pillar is made of, its fiber, is important. And of course, uh, the word pillar has a different meaning. It could be a person who adds strength to something, such as the pillar of a community. And so, just as uh, a, a physical pillar that supports a building or a structure needs to be something that is strong, a, a pillar of a, of a community, a pillar of a church needs to be something that is strong. Needs to be made of good stuff that stands the test of time. And so we're going to be looking at another kind of pillar later on. But what we're really talking about here is that we, if we're going to be pillars, if we're going to be strength for a family, if we're going to be strength for the people around us, if we're going to be strength for our church family, then what we are made of matters. We have to be people who are uh, following Jesus ourselves if we're going going to encourage others to do the same. What we're really talking about here when we talk about Proverbs 27, 17, a verse that Daryl read earlier, uh, a verse that says, uh, so as iron sharpens iron, one person can sharpen another. And that is a verse of inspiration that's used in a lot of different circles. I've heard it used by athletic teams to say, hey, Iron sharpens iron. Let's make each other better is the concept that the coaches want to impart to their respective teams. And certainly in the biblical sense that the Proverbs writer there is saying, hey, you, children of God, you can be responsible for sharpening one another. And so that's what we're going to look at today. But first we need to look at who we are as children of God if we're going to be capable of sharpening other people. If we're going to really be the kind of followers of Jesus that we need to be, church. And so we begin in Luke 9, beginning with verse 57. Jesus is walking along and and people are hollering out, 
Hey, I want to come follow you. Now we might suspect that Jesus is going to say, Woo! Great! Come on! Yeah, get in line. That's great. The more the merrier. But no! Because he's Jesus. He knows the nature of people. And so he says, Hey, there's some stipulations about following me. Because, and of course, it's the people themselves that kind of put uh, if only or, or when. They, they, they're the ones putting stipulations on their following him. Verse 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, some of this, on the surface, can sound a little cruel. Can sound a little insensitive. But Jesus is really saying here that neither hardships, nor bereavement, nor ties to our family should prevent anyone from following him. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Really? You sure about that? Because foxes have dens. They got a place to go when they're tired. But me, I'm out here and I've got no place to lay my head. So what does that mean, church? That means those closest followers, the twelve, that means they've got no place to lay their heads either. As if to say, you want to come follow me. You've got to make the same commitment that these guys have. Because they walked away from their livelihoods to follow me. They walked away from families, in some cases, to follow me. We know that Matthew walked away from a very lucrative, albeit unpopular, vocation as a tax collector. But he was making bank. There's no doubt about it. And so Jesus is saying, are you sure? Are you sure about that? It's easy to say it. Talk is cheap. But if you're going to follow me, there are going to be sacrifices along the way. If you do it the right way. And someone says, hey, you know, let me go back and bury my father. Now, I read a take on that this week that kind of blew me away. It said, you know what? His father's not dead. Because if his father was already dead, he would be tending to the burial of his father. He wouldn't be out there on the road hollering at Jesus. Or 
Jesus hollering at him and him putting stipulations on his following. And it said, what this guy is really saying is, let me go back and live my life and at the time of my father's passing, once that's done, then I'm going to be free to go and follow you. In my years in ministry, one thing I've noticed, some of the most valuable people have either been retired or unemployed. Now, you might say, well, how is an unemployed person valuable? Well, they don't have a job to go to. Okay? And so, I kid you not, over the years, uh, especially when I was in youth ministry, I remember being at church camp, and... uh, a guy in my congregation named Jeff calls me and he says, well, I got good news and bad news. He said, the bad news is I lost my job yesterday. The good news is I can come to church camp and help out. You know, didn't sit around and sulk. He got up the next morning and said, what can I do? Well, I can go serve God's kingdom today. I'll find employment later. But as, as for today, I'll... Call Greg and see if he needs any help at church camp. And this guy had run kitchens and restaurants before. So you can imagine, man, we had an omelet station the next morning at church camp. I kid you not. He had gone out and gotten the red bell peppers and the baby spinach and the mushrooms. And I mean, we had a bona fide, honest to goodness, omelet station at church camp. It was awesome. And, uh, and yeah, the, the, the food got better when Jeff came to church camp. Those last couple of days were amazing. Now, I remember another guy named Brad lost his job. Very good job. He was number three in his company. But, you know, fortunately guys like Brad and Jeff, they had savings. So their first attitude was, well, I've got time on my hands. How do I serve God's kingdom? And I got to tell you, I was, I was sad when they both got their next job. I mean, I was like, really? And I said, they said, come on, Greg. I got to, you know, quit dipping into savings at some point. I said, I know, I know. But they were valuable because they had time. And then retired people, providing that they're healthy, are super valuable. They've got time. They've got abilities. They've got skill sets. And so this guy, it seems, is saying, hey, I've got commitments right now, but at some point, Dad's going to pass away, and that's going to free things up, and then I'll come and follow you. And Jesus is saying, man, it doesn't work that way. If you're going to follow me, then come on. And that person that's got one hand fixed to the plow and then is looking back isn't fit for service in the kingdom. Really. Because if you're plowing, where should you be looking, church? The direction you're going, right? The person that's driving the team this way and looking this way, probably isn't going to do a very good job. 
And so that last comment especially, I think, takes us over into 1 Kings. I should say back into 1 Kings, page 556 in the blue hardback Bibles. First Kings 19, beginning with 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Now... The first thing we have to understand is the significance of walking up to someone and taking your cloak, this cloak of animal's hair, and putting it on someone else. Because that cloak of animal's hair was known by the people of that day as the clothing of a prophet. So he takes off his prophet jacket, you might say, and puts it on the shoulders of someone else. At that moment, it is a calling. It is a physical way of saying, you are being called by the Lord into something so much greater than yourself. At that moment, it is, church family, a change of identity. When he does that. Now... Elisha standing there, and this has just happened to him. And so, and so he's, he's got to be like stunned for a moment, I would think. Like, wow, this came out of nowhere. I got up this morning and I was thinking about, you know, plowing the back 40. I wasn't thinking about, you know, having to leave everything all of a sudden and go follow someone else. And so when he runs after Elijah, Elijah apparently doesn't stick around. He just walks up, as instructed by God, if you were to read 1 Kings 18, or earlier in 19. Instructed by God that Elisha is the one that you should go get. He's the one that's going to take your place. And so he does this, and Elisha then, as we read, runs after him says, hey, I got something quick to take care of. Elijah doesn't seem too impressed, too concerned with what he has to do. He says, what have I done to you? You know, I, I read it as if to say, either you're going to follow me or you're not. You know, that, that's a choice you're going to have to make. But church family, what Elisha does here is huge. I mean, he's got responsibility. There seems to be a bit of wealth here. Anytime in the Bible you see servants, because there's, there's how many sets of oxen? There's 12 of them. 
He himself is on that last team. So that means there's 11 other people driving the others. You know, in antiquity, this is a significant agricultural operation right here. Don't miss that. In other words, when Elisha is called, he has something. It's not like he's sitting around twiddling his thumbs waiting for the next opportunity to come along. He has something. They are landowners. They are working the land. They have means. And so Elijah shows up and does this. And he goes back in his response. He slaughters the oxen. Doesn't waste it. He feeds people with it. What does he use for kindling to make the fire to cook the meat? Alright, he uses the equipment. He uses the plow. He uses the yoke. And he takes all that and he lights it to fire. As if to say, this is what I'm doing. Pointing to the cloak. This is who I am from this point on. This is what God has called me to be. Who God has called me to be. And I have no intention whatsoever of coming back to this life. Church family, when we're baptized into Christ, what should the mindset be? Not that we, you know, got wet and people applauded. No. It's that we left a former life in that watery grave and we came out of the waters of baptism a new creation, a new creature. And so that begs the question, what is it, church, in our lives right now that we need to quit looking back over our shoulder about? What is it in our lives that we need to say once and for all, I need to leave that behind. I need to quit trying to fit in to that certain circle of friends that when I'm around them, I do things that I shouldn't be doing. I need to be the kind of person that people can easily identify as a follower of Jesus. That when I'm with that group of people, or sometimes it's when we're alone that we do the worst things that we do. Sometimes it's when we think nobody's looking. That we are someone we're not supposed to be. And so, church, how many of us have years, even decades, of life as a child of God and there are still things that we're clinging on to, still things that we are looking back over our shoulder for, things that we're yearning for that we really really don't want to leave behind us once and for all. But God has called us to be someone else. He wants to give us a completely new 
identity. In Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 11, Paul addresses some of that identity and what it's good for. Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words... That we, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, are molded more each day into the image of the risen Savior. Then, verse 14, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is, Christ. From Him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What's the last word there, church? Work, that's right. Yeah, as each part... Each part does its work. What is your work? What have you been called to do? Because we're not called to simply show up. We're not called to be consumers of religion. We are called to be disciples. How can we sharpen someone else if we're not sharp enough ourselves? But church family, make no mistake, we are to be sharp enough and we are to be to where we can bring others along with us. There is no doubt that in the time that Elijah spent with Elisha, that Elijah, the outgoing prophet, sharpened his protege. Elijah sharpened Elisha. There is no doubt in my mind that Paul sharpened Timothy. There is no doubt in my mind that uh, Mary, who Jesus tells her sister Martha, Mary's the one that's doing what's right here. She's learning from me. She's taking the time. There's no doubt that going forward that if Martha was willing to learn from her sister that Mary sharpened Martha to an extent they might have sharpened each other. But church family, as Daryl said this morning, let's sharpen each other. And yes, that's what we need to do. But we've got to make sure that we are leaving behind what we need to leave behind. That we are sharpening ourselves significantly enough 
that it's not enough to just say, you know, I'm a child of God. I read this week that one thing that identified Christians is that from the earliest time that going back to the late first century, the second century, the third century, that God's people, the followers of Jesus, were identified because they resembled what people heard about in New Testament Scripture. Think about that for a moment. The followers of Jesus in those early centuries after Jesus ascended back to the right hand of the Father, they were easily identifiable in society because they had one thing in common. That there wasn't a disconnect between what people read about in Scripture and what they would see within a group of Christians. In other words... We have to be people who change. How we behave matters. How we treat other people matters. What did Paul say in Ephesians 4? That all, all that building up has to be done in love. So church, we have to remember that all of that matters. Now, a term that's been around, I don't know, I've been hearing it for probably the last 10 to 15 years, is uh, checking all the boxes. Lately, I'm a sports fan, particularly I'm an NFL football fan. And so, uh, if, if you're familiar with what's been going on in Indianapolis the last few days, it's the Combine. And uh, so, guys running fast. Some faster than others. You know, the three-cone drill, uh, the gauntlet, all these things. And uh, some people think, man, this is like watching paint dry or watching grass grow. Not to me. I think it's so cool. And... uh, and I just, you know, I'm excited to think about, man, who is my team going to pick at pick number 26? Oh, man, could they maybe slide down the board and pick up another pick or two? That would be cool. Yeah. And the, one of the terms they use is, yeah, this linebacker, this uh, defensive tackle, this receiver, man, they check all the boxes. Sometimes in the world of uh, human resources, they'll say this applicant, this candidate for the position, checks all the boxes. Something Daryl mentioned earlier is finding a new school superintendent. I would imagine that they've got a set of boxes that they want checked. Whoever they hire has to be this, 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 and this. Now, I have here... Qualifications for disciples. A memorandum to Jesus, son of Joseph, woodcrafter, carpenter shop, Nazareth, from the Jordan Management Consultants of Jerusalem. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests 
We have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The the two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings. And they both registered a high score on the Manic Depressive Scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. You pick up on that, the right-hand man. You know, the Last Supper, he was seated at the place of honor, the right hand of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. That's who they recommend. You see, when we look at the spiritual world through a secular lens, things don't exactly line up, do they, church? Yeah. Yeah. Qualifications of a disciple? Well, here's the box you have to check. Love Jesus. And all that stuff you were doing before you met Jesus? Leave that behind once and for all. Leave it behind. In Genesis chapter 19, we see that a couple of angels go to a city named Sodom. And bad things are going on there. And so the next morning... After a tumultuous night, the angels are leading Lot and his family out of that city. And they're given one instruction. What is it, church? Say it again. Leave the city, but don't look back. Yeah. Don't look back. Don't turn around. Because turning around meant what? Turning around meant, yeah, the, the warning was that you turn into the pillar of salt. or that's, That was the result. But what does turning back represent, church? I'm going to miss some of that wickedness. That's what turning around represents. What's behind us that we keep turning around to get a glimpse of? Church family, we got to quit looking back. 
got to quit looking back. We got to put that behind us once and for all. God wants us to accept a cloak that means something. God wants us to say, be like the Savior that I gave you. That's what I need you to be. That's who I need you to be. That is your identity. But you're going to have to quit looking back. Because you don't want to be that kind of pillar. That's not who you want to be. And so praise God that tomorrow's a new day, isn't it, church? Praise God that today's a new day. It ain't over. We leave this building and we are the people that God calls us to be if we choose. If that's the life we choose. But it may mean that we stop doing things that we used to do. And it may mean that we need to stop hanging around some of the people we've been hanging around. That we sharpen ourselves so that we, once and for all, are able to sharpen others. But let's remember something, church. When iron sharpens iron, sparks fly. Okay? You don't get to be sharper without some pain. You don't get to be sharper by experiencing something when the roughness around the edges is eliminated and that we are what God then calls us to be. God will refine us if we only let Him. But the choice has to be ours. I let these verses have the final word today. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That is who we need to be, church family. God help us to be that. If you're with us today and you have not yet begun the journey, you know that that you've still got a whole lot of stuff that you need to leave behind you. It can start today with a simple confession that you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The waters of baptism are available. And the experience is life-changing if we let it be. If you're with us today and there's something you need us to pray with you about, the invitation is for that reason as well. Let's stand and sing.